Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. The main thing to think about with today's story is this. God is gracious and loving and kind. And he will keep his promises and his covenants to a thousand generations. If you seek him, he will find you and you will find him. And in the end, this story is all about God's love and covenant-keeping with this apostate, evil, northern Israel nation led by King Ahab. We find ourselves in 1 Kings chapter 20, and we just got done with Elijah, right? And how he's passing on his mantle of being a prophet to Elisha. Well, the writer of 1 Kings changes gears and switches back to looking at King Ahab. Now, King Ahab... First Kings points out was an evil, evil king. And why was he evil? Because he rejected Yahweh. He didn't listen to Yahweh. He pursued other gods, in particular Baal and the goddess Asherah. And with his wife Jezebel, he led northern Israel into apostate worship of these two gods. And in doing so, he broke the heart of God. Remember, Israel was his bride, his people. He chose them out of everything. Deuteronomy 23, check it out. Of all the nations of the earth, he chose Israel and he made a covenant. He loves Israel. And yet, like a husband who cheats on his wife or As a bride who cheats on her husband, here again we see Israel saying, Fooey with you, God, we're going to pursue these other gods, Baal and Asherah. And they're led in this by Ahab, this wicked, wicked king who did not have a heart loyal to Yahweh. Well, that's what I said right at the beginning. The point of this whole 
sermon today is that God is not fickle like man. And God is loving and kind and compassionate and long-suffering. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. Well, here we have Ahab, who is king of northern Israel, now facing one of his greatest enemies, Ben-Hadad II. Now, in most versions, it says Ben-Hadad, but historically, they're referring to King Ben-Hadad II. Ben-Hadad I was the king who attacked Basha in the north, right? And Asa made an alliance with him so that he would take some of the cities and land, forcing Basha to leave his southern ideas and go defend that area. I don't know if you remember that, but Ben-Hadad I, Ben-Hadad II's dad, had already raided into Israel, taken some of their cities under Basha when Asa was king. Well, now Ben-Hadad II of Syria is back. His son is back, and he comes up to Samaria, the capital city of northern Israel, and he surrounds Samaria with 32 kings on his side, 32 kings that he's aligned with, and they've come in a raiding, not so much a party, but a massive amount of armies and war material to siege Samaria, where King Ahab is. Well, King Ahab, he gets a little scared there, right? He's about to lose everything. Well, Ben-Hadad II, Ben-Hadad II says, King Ahab, I want you to give me all your gold and your silver and your wives and your children, and then I'll go. You know, and then we'll make peace. But you got to send me that. I won't attack you. Give me all your gold and all your, you know, expensive, profitable stuff in your family. So King Ahab, he's in no position to bargain because he's got a much smaller force and he's trapped in his city and he's surrounded, again, by Ben-Hadad II and the Syrian forces. And so he says, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can take my stuff. Well, Ben-Hadad II thinks, man, that all happened awfully quick. Maybe, maybe I could get more. So he goes back a second time and says, no, 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 that's not good enough. I changed my mind. I don't just want your gold and your silver, Ahab. I want all of it. I want all of it out of the city. I want all your wives and all your children. I want it all. Well, at this point, King Ahab, he stops. And he consults the elders of the town. Because for him, dumb as he is, he's wise enough to think, you know what, this probably isn't the the best thing for him to take everything. So he consults the leaders of the city, and the leaders of the city say, no way. You better stop. You better restrain it at this point. Don't let him take any more than that. Say no to his demands. So Ahab says no. And he says to the messengers, you go back and tell Ben-Hadad, there is no way we're doing that. Well, they go tell Ben-Hadad II, who's waiting outside in his encampment. And when he gets the news, of course, he gets all bully and tough. And he says, no, 
I swear before the gods that like this dust that we're standing in, <laughs> I'm going to pick it up and handfuls of it is going to be like your people who follow me. They're not going to be your people anymore. They're going to be mine. Well, and Ahab says, no way. And he sends back a defiant answer. So the fight is on. So, as they're waiting to get this fight going, a prophet. Now, some people think it was a prophet called, could have been pronounced Micah, who later on shows up in 1 Kings 22. All we know is 1 Kings says a prophet showed up. Well, a prophet shows up to Ahab, and he says, Hey, the Lord has said to me that everything's okay. You're going to win. And I'm going to give Ben-Hadad into your hand. Why? Not because you're great, Ahab, but because I am the Lord. And by giving them into your hand, all of Israel will know that I am the Lord. So Ahab said, hey, all right. And so Ahab asked a little more, how is this battle supposed to work? Has the Lord given you any sense of how this battle is supposed to work out? And, and, and the prophet says that you're supposed to send in your 232 young officers or provincial commanders. And they're going to go ahead and then you're going to come behind in a smaller force of about 7,000 men. And that's how we're going to fight it. And then Ahab scratched his head. That seemed a little odd. But where am I in this whole battle, basically, Ahab asks. And, God, and the prophet says, you are going to be at the lead, leading this whole group in the battle. So tomorrow, or whenever this battle starts, we're going to have Ahab at the front. We're going to have these 232 provincial commanders, young men, and then behind them, seven to 10,000 of the Israeli army. But you're at the front, Ahab. But remember, the Lord is going to do this for you. God is doing this because he wants them to know that God is in control. And, and he's the one who works on behalf of his people. So Ahab says, all right, let's do this. And so at noon the next day, Ahab starts to head out. Now, it's interesting that he starts at noon. Because most people in the ancient Near East didn't fight a battle at noon when it was at its hottest or about to get hot, right? No, instead they would fight it maybe early in the morning or late at night. And so this battle, and when it started, sort of caught Ben-Hadad a little surprised and caught him a little off foot. And this surprise attack by Ahab caught Ben-Hadad when he was getting drunk. He's drinking with his commanders when people run in, when a messenger runs in and says, Hey, Ahab is attacking! So he comes out and he sees these 232 men coming towards him. And I guess he wasn't certain if they were coming to talk peace or if they were intending to fight. But then he probably saw behind them the 7,000 to 10,000 strong Israeli army. 
and they came in and they fought the Syrian army and they inflicted heavy losses on the surprised Arameans. See, it seems like the, the idea was to have a well-trained advance party you could perhaps draw near to the Syrians without arousing too much alarm. That was that 232. And then maybe at a given signal, all of a sudden this charge would come in and the chariots and the cavalry, all part of that 7,000, they would come in as a striking force and they'd catch this drunken Aramean army off guard at noon and in the confusion, whack, 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 kill them all. Well, Ahab didn't kill them all, but he killed a ton of them. It says in the Bible that each struck down his man and the Syrians fled and Israel pursued them. I mean, it was a great victory. And again, Ahab had the smaller army. The Syrians had the much bigger army. But guess what? God was true to his word. And though it was a brilliant military attack to attack at noon while they're drunk, to maybe have this first force come in, that's a little confusing, draw some people out and then have the second force come in. It was a great military idea, but where did all this come from? And when men fought men with sword against sword, God saw to it that Israel was successful and won battle after battle. The victory belongs to the Lord. And as the Bible says, they struck the Syrians with a great blow. Well, after they got done, Ben-Hadad escapes, the Syrian army runs. Well, the same prophet, he finds Ahab and he says, Hey, you better strengthen yourself. You better get ready. Because in the spring this coming year, the Syrians... And Ben-Hadad II, they are going to be back. Well, and as the Syrians are running away and they regroup themselves back at home in Syria, some of Ben-Hadad II's own advisors come to him and say, Hey, you know what? We got to go back and attack them. Our big mistake was this, was going up into the hill country and fighting him in Samaria because I think their God, Yahweh, is, is a God of the mountains. Instead, we should have fought him on the plains. That's what these men are saying to Ben-Hadad. We, we should have fought him on the plains of the valleys because that's where our God is the strongest and they don't really have gods of the plains or the valleys and we're going to be stronger than them and and instead of having these 32 kings let, let's get rid of them and let's throw in some other actual fighting princes and fighting commanders and yeah then we'll go back next time we'll, we'll fight them on the plains where their God is ineffective and we'll rework our army and let's go back and yes Ben Hadad the second said, we will do this again. Now it's Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, just the God of the hills. No, he is almighty God. He is king of kings and lord of lords. 
Now, the thing is, the ancient Near East, you had certain localized deities who stuck with certain cities and certain um, whole nations. And they once you crossed that border, they couldn't move. Or some were stuck in the clouds, stuck in the mountains, you know, stuck in that forest. They couldn't come out of it. But not our God. Not Yahweh. He's the greatest God of all. He can go wherever he wants. Well, spring comes around. And guess who shows up again? Ben-Hadad II. But this time he doesn't go all the way into Samaria. No, instead he goes up to this town called Aphek, which basically means a fortress. So we're not certain where it is. But either way, we do know this. It was in a plain. It was in a flat area. And it says in the Bible that the Syrians were so big, so massive an army, that the Israelis looked like two little flocks of goats in comparison. (laughs) Israelis looked so small compared to this massive force they were facing. Well, again, a prophet comes... That next year, as they're facing Ben-Hadad II for the second time, again, a prophet comes to Ahab to encourage him. Man, what a great God we have. You know, Ahab rejected, rejected Yahweh again and again and again. He pursued this God named Baal. But our God is gracious and wants to make his name great amongst his people. And he sends this prophet to him, and he wants Ahab to know, thus says the Lord. The Lord is basically in charge of everything. He says the Syrians have said that Yahweh is a god of the hills. He's not a god of the valleys. But what God wants you to know, this prophet says to Ben-Hadad II, is that is not true. And I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. So Ahab, I'm thinking, is probably encouraged. They encamp for seven days. This little flock of goats looking Israeli army against this massive army for seven days they sit encamped they seven days and i just wonder about the fear that must have gone to the israeli troops or maybe it was confident maybe ahab told him about this prophet and what he said to him well either way on the seventh day the battle begins Now, the Bible doesn't say a lot about the battle, but it does say this, that that little flock of goats, that little Israeli army, they struck down the Syrians. They killed over a 100,000 foot soldiers. That's hard to say. They killed over a hundred thousand foot soldiers. There's this little army of seven to ten thousand, a hundred thousand foot soldiers. And they chased the Syrians all the way to this city called Aphek, I told you right. And they're in there, and inside the city, Ben Hadad II is hiding, and they think they've gotten away with something when God causes the wall to collapse killing another 27,000 Syrians. 
Well, Ben, hey, Dad. He survives the wall collapse. And he's inside a building, inside of a room, inside of a room. He's in an inner chamber, hiding away. Well, his servants, his advisors, come to Ben-Hadad II, who is clearly lost the second time. And they say, hey, we've heard the Israeli kings are kind, and they're gracious, and they're merciful. So so, so what you need to do is, is, is you need to put on some sackcloth, and you put, basically what they would do is they would put a rope around their neck, and sometimes the rope would look like a hangman's noose, basically saying to the king that defeated them, hey, you could hang me, please don't. Sometimes they'd put a rope around their neck and they would hang their sword there, basically saying again to the king who had just defeated them, you could chop off my head, please don't. Well, it says in the Bible there that that's what Ben-Hadad did, Ben-Hadad II did. He put on sackcloth and ashes, looked like he was mourning, put a rope around his head and possibly around his neck, did one of these symbolic things, and him and his assistants and his servants, and they came to Ahab and they said, please let us live. Well, Ahab, he says, hey, bring Ben-Hadad here. And he lets Ben-Hadad not only come near him, he lets him step up into his chariot. That was a sign of, hey, you're now my friend, Ben-Hadad II. You're now, I, I'm going to treat you nicely. So this was a good sign. King Ahab could have killed Ben-Hadad II. But instead, he lets him step into, up into his chariot and gives him graciousness and kindness. And Ben-Hadad II says, all right, listen, listen. If you let me live, I'm going to give you all those cities in northern Israel that my dad, Ben-Hadad I, took from you took from your father, I'm going to give him back to you. And Ahab's thinking, oh, I like this, I like this. And then on top of that, you can come to my city, Damascus, and you can open up shop there, and you can sell and trade. And Ahab's like, I really like this. And they shake on it, and they make a deal. And Ben-Hadad II leaves, and yes, they've won the second battle. Woohoo! And they get their cities back, and they get a trade in Damascus, and they're all high-fiving each other. This is awesome. But it's not. Because who gave them the battle? the Lord. And it seems at some point, though we don't see it in the story, but at some point King Ahab knew he was to kill Ben-Hadad II. He knew that. It seems like Ahab knew that, but he, being the evil king that he is, living by his own rules, defiant towards Yahweh to the last, he says no. And instead he makes this treaty. Well, the Lord sends him another prophet. And it might have been the same prophet these three times. This is the third time a prophet goes talks to him. Many people believe it was this Micah, or Maacah, Micah, again, M-A-I, C-H-A-H. Again, they're, they're sending him Mayaka, and it could have been him all three times, but it might have been three separate prophets. By the way, it says here in 1 Kings chapter 20, 
verse 35, and a certain man of the sons of the prophets. Now, the sons of the prophets is an interesting term, okay? The sons of the prophets were, were basically men who were students in these schools of these prophets, and they were well-established institutions, and they perpetuated an understanding of the law of Moses and what the word of the Lord said and what the Torah said. So this was basically one of the students of one of these universities of the sons of the prophets. God came to him, and again, it might have been Micah or Micah this whole time. And one of the students in one of these, one of these prophets, essentially, turns to one of his friends and says, strike me. I want you to hit me so hard that, 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 that it'll cause me to bruise. It might cause a cut. He just turns to him and says, strike me, please. That's literally what the Bible says. Strike me, please. Well, well, well this, this prophet steps back and he says, no, I'm, I'm not going to strike you, but, but here's the key. The prophet said, at the command of the Lord, I want you to strike me. The Lord has said, I've got to get someone to strike me. And you, my fellow student, the Lord has commanded you, the Lord, to strike me. Hit me so hard. I, I, I might break a cheekbone. I might, you know, have a big gash in my face. You've got to strike me. The Lord commands it. This is an odd request, isn't it? I'd find that hard. Again, we all want to be nice guys. We all want to be nice people. And so the prophet says, no, I'm not going to strike you. No, that, that would be wrong. But the thing is this. The Lord commanded him to do it. When he said, I'm not going to do it, you know, ostensibly on the outside oh i'm just being nice no inside this other prophet this other student is saying i know better than god i know the lord's commanded you but i'm not gonna do it because i know better than god that's ultimately what he's saying i mean it was a big defiant step well the prophet who asked the other prophet to strike him says because you did not strike me as God commanded you, this very day, a lion is going to strike you down. Well, the man thought to himself, that's dumb. I'm not going to strike you. I got better things to do. And he leaves and shuts the door and he starts walking down to the bus route, you know, to catch his bus back home. When all of a sudden, I don't know if lions gallop, but eats his head, then his shoulders, then his arms, then his legs, and then maybe pulls off his shoes because he doesn't want those, and eats, devours the man. A little short lesson here. You better do what God asks you to do. Now, we're living in a day and age where I don't think the Lord is going to just strike you down, right? That God is gracious and loving, and we can ask forgiveness, especially if we repent. But rejecting God's commands does have consequences. We may not be eaten by lions today. It may not be that stark. But if God says to you, hey, don't 
go to that website. Don't do that drug. Don't pursue that lifestyle. Don't pursue that. Per- you know this gives goes against what I've commanded you. And somebody could hand you the Bible and say, look. In his word, it says, don't do this, 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 and this. And if, oh, but I want to be kind. I want to be loving. I want to be... What happens is we make love an idol, right? I can't strike my friend. That's not loving. If God commanded you to do it, you better do it. And and often today people say, well, it's not loving to do this. And again, we make love an idol rather than saying, I'm going to obey God first. That's the most loving thing I can do. Well, then this prophet turns to somebody else and says, hey, I need you to strike me. Now, if I was that dude and I just saw that other guy getting eaten, I would have struck him immediately. And that's sort of what happens here. He says, strike me, please. And the man struck him. I'd be like, strike me, please. I just saw the guy eating by a line. All right, all right, let me grab something, you know, rolling pin. Bam! Smack him across the face. Uh, strike me, please. Okay, here's a chair. Bam! Hit him as hard as I can. I do not want to get eaten by a lion. He, This guy struck him so hard, it says he wounded him. That's a pretty heavy strike. Man, that prophet paid a price for following the Lord. Man, ah, that's... This is a strange story, but that's it's stories like this that I love the Bible. They don't pull any punches. It lays it out how it happened. It goes against a lot of our modern sensibilities, but ultimately, the prophet that was rewarded was the one who obeyed the Lord, and he's wounded. Well, he hobbles his way, and he, and he, he basically puts a headband over his eyes, and he disguises himself. And he stands in the way, and probably Ahab would ride certain roads with his entourage back and forth from the palace to other things. And I'm sure he loved to be seen of men, you know, he loved to be known. So everybody knew, hey, Ahab comes through this way at a certain time. So, you know what I mean? Everybody knew where Ahab wanted to be seen. Well, here we have... This prophet, who's disguised with a basically a bandage over his head, he he comes up to this place and he maybe sees Ahab in a chariot and he stumbles out and he and he stops the chariot and he basically motions that he wants to talk to Ahab. So the king hears him crying, stop, I need to talk to you, I need your wisdom, oh great Ahab, maybe he made Ahab feel like, hey, I'm important, well either way, he stopped his chariot and he listened to this prophet disguised as this other person, the prophet here tells Ahab a story, now can you remember any other time when a story was used to convict a person, to persuasively make them realize, hey, you're doing something wrong, Remember Nathan, the prophet Nathan confronted David with the story about the man who stole that little baby sheep. And he famously says, you're the man. Do you remember that? I hope you do. I just think it's awesome how stories can stop people in their tracks and be a great source of conviction. Well, here this man, he goes, hey, Ahab, listen, listen, I, I, I was in a battle 
And I was in the midst of this battle when the soldier turns to me and he brings a man to me and it says, hey, I need you to guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life. Or if he escapes, you got to pay a talent of silver, which is basically 75 pounds worth of silver. It's an immense amount of money. Well, this disguised prophet is telling Ahab, I was in the middle of this battle. This guy gives me a prisoner, and you got to guard him. Don't lose him. Either you're going to lose your life if you do lose him, or you got to pay this enormous amount of money. And, and I was busy, Ahab, he says. It says there literally, I was busy here and there, and there and here. He was busy doing other things. Maybe he was busy fighting with one hand, trying to watch the prisoner with the other. Maybe he was busy trying to get his food going, tying his sandal, I don't know, playing on his video game, you know, whatever it happens to be. When he looks up, and Ahab, the prisoner was gone. The prisoner was gone. He ran away. And Ahab... In the moment of the story, he says, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. You've got to pay the money or you've got to be killed, is essentially what Ahab says. That's my decision. I'm not going to give you a pardon. I'm not going to let you off. You knew what the choice was. You should have made that choice. And now, guess what? you got to pay the money or, or you've got to give your life. And then the prophet pulls off his bandage. And he stands in front of Ahab, I imagine, with his bleeding, busted eye. And Ahab looks at him. (gasps) It seems like this prophet had to disguise himself. Why? Because Ahab knew who he was. Because later on, he's going to say, hey, I'm going to bring in this other prophet. Because he never tells me what I want to hear. Ahab had bumped in this prophet many, many times before. And that's why many people think that's who it was. But either way, Ahab knew this prophet. And when he revealed his face, his bloodied and bruised face, he knew that's that prophet. He speaks for the Lord. The prophet looks at Ahab and says, Listen, because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. Because you let Ben-Hadad II out, Because you did not kill him, as I asked you to do, Ahab, you're going to die. And your people are going to suffer. The prophet leaves. It says, the king of Israel went to his house, vexed and sullen. The word vexed means stressed depressed, discouraged, really agitated, scared. It's all of that wrapped up in this word called vexed. Ahab was vexed and sullen. Sullen means he was sad. The prophet just told him, Ahab, because he didn't do what God asked you to do, you're going to die. That's tough news to take. I'd find that hard to take. 
He thought he'd just worked out this great deal with Ben Hadad II. You know, you know, it's interesting. There's, there's a, there is a uh, historical precedence to this that l- later on, Ben Hadad and Ahab faced a mutual foe together and we have historical records of this actually happening ben hadad and ahab got together and they fought this king shalmaneser the third of assyria and they rebelled him at the battle of karkar it's really hard to say karkar on the orontes river i mean we have historical record this the shalmaneser he writes it down i've basically faced Ahab and Ben-Hadad, we have historical proof outside of the Bible that this alliance between Ahab and Ben-Hadad II was true. In fact, again, later on, they faced this king and repelled him at this battle of Karkar. It seems from all the outside appearance, right? Hey, that's great. In the Bible, history shows... He got trading rights in Damascus. He got his cities back. But it cost him his life. Because he didn't obey God. And I started this saying, hey, the big point is I want you to understand how loving our God is. Yahweh is a God of love, right? The Bible says God is love. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you, to take your penalty that you deserve such love. But he's also a God who wants you to obey him. It talks about in 1 John how Keep my commandments. It talks about in the book of John, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we have the word of God right here. We know what his commandments are. We don't need a prophet coming to tell us as they did in Ahab's day. We have the word of God on our phone, on our laptop, in our book. Are you going to obey the Lord? Are you going to obey his commands? Man, I pray you do. And I pray you obey him out of a heart of love, not out of a heart of duty, but out of a heart of love and fear and wisdom, right? Proverbs talks about fear is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not this, oh, I'm so scared of God. It's more like awe, the majesty and beauty. And one thing you can be in awe of is the love of God. God loves me so much. Why wouldn't I want to obey his commands? Why wouldn't I want to obey what he says? God is love and he never gives up on his people as he shows in those two battles. But God expects you to obey him. If you're gonna if you say you love me, keep my commandments. Because if you don't, Ahab shows there will be consequences. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life.
new episodes added every week.